You are listening to The Daily Roundup. I am your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Friday show for you today. Does ABC have my schedule in their organizer or something? This is unbelievable what they do to me. I'll talk about that in a second. We're going to talk about what happened yesterday in regards to the cast from Charity Season. And then not going to be much of an open. I'm going to go straight into the interview with Stephen Fishback. I just don't have a lot to talk about today. Being in Las Vegas, I'm recording this Thursday night from my room. That's why it sounds probably a little bit different. But we're just going to run the Stephen Fishback interview that I recorded earlier this week talking all about the Survivor finale. You love Stephen. He comes on at the end of every year. And he was just as good this time as he's been every other time because he's an encyclopedia when it comes to this show. So we will get to all that momentarily. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so I talked about the fact that this show, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, the day I left for Las Vegas back in March, or actually the day I was traveling from Las Vegas to California, Saturday morning, they released the potential men for charity season. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, great. Wonderful. Gotta love that. (laughs) You know, it's like they do this every time. And so I'm like, oh, my God, it it can't possibly happen again, can it? Oh, no. Oh, it did. Like, these people have no shame. I don't know why when it comes to me, but (laughs) uh, they do. And so yesterday... In the, very, in, in the morning, they basically started um, a TikTok account and – or the Bachelorette TikTok account showed uh, videos of the guys. I was like, oh, boy, I know what this means. This means that they're going to release the fucking <laughs> – they're going to release the bios, aren't they? And sure enough, they did. Now – I don't know if there's written bios. I didn't even look if there's written bios. But they released all of Charity's men. And there's only 25 men this season. This is the lowest amount of contestants to start a season since 2016, according to Bachelor data. And I thought one thing that was interesting was, remember when they announced at the beginning of, or remember when Charity got to Fiji and people announced that Charity was in Fiji. If you go back and reread that article, it said Charity started this season with 29 men. Those people clearly didn't do any homework. They had no inside knowledge. They just assumed, oh, the 29 men that released on the Facebook page back in March must be how many she started with. No, 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 no. We find out yesterday she only has 25 men. The four men that were on the Bachelorette Facebook page that did not make the final cast were Brandon Wallace, Chris Blackman, Demarcus Gresham, and Steve Cole. Those names don't mean anything to you anymore because they're not, never going to be on the show. But in case you're keeping track at home, those guys never made it. So I did not have time to go through everything. I did not. I, I watched a couple of the videos here and there of the guys just introducing themselves and saying their name, their age, their city, and their job. I guess the biggest revelation is we've been calling Doton Doton, or at least I have. His name's Doton. 
D-O-U-T-O-T-D-O-T-U-N. On his video, he says, my name is Dotton, I'm 30 years old, and I'm from New York. So, there you go. He's not Dotton. And as for anything else, I just didn't, I didn't watch enough. I got too much stuff going on. Had a fun day today in Vegas. Of course, what usually happens, if I do well at the tables, I don't do well at sports or vice versa. Had a great start to the craps tables today and then gave some of it back uh, on the basketball game last night. So, oh well. But um, I don't want to waste too much time. There's just, there's just not much to report. I will get to all of that either Monday or Tuesday because I'm still here on Sunday night, and I don't know how much stuff I'm going to look at Bachelor-wise on while I'm still here. So hopefully I will get around to that on Tuesday. Monday I'll take some time, go over some of the bios, look at some of the things that they said. I mean, look, all they're doing is introducing themselves in these videos. They're saying their name, their age, their city, and their job. Like, I don't know. That's not going to give away anything. Um of course, everyone's reading into the Final Four of how they smiled in the camera, their body language, are they happy? It's just like, good God. It's like, like so irrelevant stuff. So, um, But I didn't even read what any of them, if the bios are out on ABC's page. So maybe I need to go check that out and see what they said in their bios. But anyway, that's all I've got for this. The party is tonight. I'll update the party uh, happenings on, on Monday. And follow along tonight on Instagram stories. I'll probably do something, either pictures or videos or both. So check that out. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Anyway, uh, let's just get started with this interview with Survivor Token Cheens contestant and Survivor Second Chances contestant, Stephen Fishback. All right, let's bring him in. You saw him on uh, Survivor Token Cheens. You saw him on Survivor Second Chance. He is our resident Survivor expert we have on at the end of every season. It is Stephen Fishback. Stephen, thanks for coming on. Oh, my gosh. This is one of my favorite things to do every, every six months. You know what? I have not read or listened to a word you've said since the finale Good. because I want, right. I want to hear it on this pod for the first time. So Well, that's great. That means I can repeat myself. Yeah. You're going to definitely repeat yourself of everything you've said since last Wednesday night, Thursday morning. So, <laughs> but I want to hear it for the first time. So first question. We're going to start at the end, and then we're going to work our way backwards for the things that happened this season. Yeah. With, with the final three that we had – of Heidi Jam Jam and Carolyn. Yeah. One, did you think the right person won? And two, if you were on that jury, would you have voted for Jam Jam? I did think the right person won. I felt like Jam Jam played a fantastic game. And there's a lot of very vocal Carolyn stands out there. And I loved yeah. her, and I'm sure we'll talk more about her later. Um, I thought she was a really great character. But, you know, Jam Jam did something, you know, just in terms of his ability to work with everybody you know across all of the different groups and he also really told a great story about how well he played at tribal council at that final travel and i think he you know pretty clearly had the best final travel performance in terms of saying you know kind of all of the steps he took to get to the end you know when when people when, when heidi was trying to attribute jam jam's win to carson um you know jam jam was able to say I use Carson and hey, I use all of you. And because he's so personable, because he's so funny and charming, um, 
you know, the, the jury didn't feel upset at being used. They felt like, hey, this guy was playing us and he was great. And it's people have noticed that in the last few final tribals, the person to win is always the first person to make the jury laugh the most. And I think there's something to that. I think there's something to that in the new era of Survivor where just being liked the most is honestly <laughs> maybe the most important thing. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think I would have voted for him. I think he should have won. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Carolyn, great character. I don't know if she had the greatest resume. I almost feel like they were on the same wavelength, Carolyn and Jam Jam, and I think you said it perfectly. I think Jam Jam won. Now, you can you can sit here and say the jury claims they didn't have all the roads were open going into that final tribal. I don't right. know if that's necessarily true. But let's just say it was. I think based on that, I have no problem with Jam Jam winning the final tribal because he did. Like, so yes. you know, there you go. I mean, he. I thought he absolutely killed it. I think Carolyn, you know, had her struggles there in the final tribal. She's admitted it post show as well. She got in her own way sometimes. I just think you know, we'll we'll get to Heidi in a second. But yeah, I had no problem with Jam Jam winning. I thought once he got there, he was going to win. Um. Now, the question then becomes, I don't know why Jeff didn't ask this at the after show, if Carson makes the final three with Jam Jam, doesn't matter if Carolyn or Heidi is the third person, um, if Carson and Jam Jam are two of the final three, would Carson have won? And Jeff never asked that's the jury a, that, and I'm surprised. I was so annoyed about that. You know, I do wonder, too, if it's like that's the, one of the problems of having the after show, like, be right out there on the island, where these questions that the audience is all thinking as, you know, we watch the season back, Jeff doesn't have access to those. And he does a pretty good job of kind of, like, capturing the big themes and moments of the season, you know, which is pretty remarkable because, like, it hasn't been edited yet by that point, you know? Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, that's the big one for me, too. Does Carson win? I kind of think yes. I mean, I do yeah. think that there – I felt like that Carson would always have a problem because people were going to kind of think of him as the little buddy or, like, the best friend, you know? And every one of those people out there, you know, Carson was kind of their pal, and he's really young. And I do think people would – struggle to give a person a million dollars who is that young. Although, you know, Marianne also very young, just one, you know, two, two seasons ago. Um, but I still think, you know, there, there did seem to be this overall sense that Carson was kind of the strategic brains behind thing. And it really would have been a really interesting showdown. Um, I could, I kind of think Carson might've had the edge, which is of course why they had to vote him out. Yeah. Or well, not, I guess not vote him out, but not vote him in. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, Tika, right? I want to keep saying Tiki. Yeah. They were Tika. Everyone, <laughs> Tika yeah. everyone on the jury seemed to think that the Carson, Jam, Jam, Carolyn threesome from Tika was run by Carson. So that makes me think he kind of, yes. he probably would have won. I mean, we don't know. I wish somebody would have asked. I'm surprised, Jeff, because when we've had the live reunions in the past, Jeff has asked that. Like, hey, if they got to the finals jury, who would you have voted for? And they have done that in the past. And I thought Carson, unless he didn't think Carson was uh, much of a, a threat, but I, I don't know how you couldn't have thought that. But yeah, it was it was pretty yeah. crazy. I, I I do think that there was a good chance Carson could have won. Um, now and Carson played a great game. Yeah, I mean, you know, the crazy thing though is for someone who prepared everything was like three D printing, you know, a, a generations worth of Survivor puzzles. How is that guy not practicing fireboard? You know, like, how is he so bad? And I understand the idea that he probably practiced at home. It's a very different conditions, right? Doing it at home when you have dry wood, when you have no stress, and most importantly, when you have a sharp knife, because the dull machete they give you on Survivor is really hard to bear with until you, like, get the touch, you know, which, which Jam Jam obviously had and, and Carolyn had and, and Heidi obviously had. Um, but but um, the crazy thing is, like, what just – you know, I get that it makes people nervous if they see you like practicing fire or making fire, but there are opportunities. And if anyone going out there these days has got to be absolutely gifted with fire, because like otherwise, what are you preparing for? Because like then, if you're the best player, you're always going to get eliminated to fire. You know, you've got to prepare. Yeah, I really think, and I'm going to talk about fire in a second because I I really think that what we've seen from Carson this year, I'm wondering if this is now going to set a new precedent going forward 
for people over preparing, and not that that's a bad thing, but literally doing what Carson did now knowing, hey, you can replicate all these puzzles. And he basically killed it every time there was a puzzle. Like if we knew if we knew that there was a puzzle at the end of any challenge and Carson was participating, I think he won most of them, if not all. I, I think. Yes. I didn't count, yes. but he did. Right. So yeah, I, he just breezed through them. Go ahead. Sorry. Do you think this is a good thing for the game? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I haven't put my I mean, thought into I, it yet. Yeah, I think it was fun and interesting, kind of as a one-off. And I do think, though, that he sort of set a standard. Now, of course, it's not something that everyone can replicate. You know, I don't know how to three D print, and I assume a lot of people don't. Of course, like you know, if I was going to go on Survivor again, I would certainly learn. Um, because I do think, you know, once you see someone do it then you have to think that others are going to be doing it. And, and, you know, you've got to stay at the standard of the competition. But, the only, you know, Jeff has spoken about wanting the game to stay ahead of the contestants. And that's why they are doing all these new twists and turns constantly. And I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy uh, for game design. I think it's really fun when the contestants can kind of figure out the game and, and create strategies rather than sort of constantly being backfooted and being a little bit lost. But when it comes to the challenges, it's not fun, right? This was fun to see like one contestant do it once, but it would not be fun. And there's been a few people who have practiced a lot of the challenges and and because they are repeating so many challenges these days, the players really are getting ahead of the challenges. And I think that's going to become less and less fun as a viewer to watch where it's not about contestants in real time figuring it out. It's just, you know, which over-prepared super genius can, can you know, hit their, hit their jackpot, and, you know, first. So I do think they have to change the challenges up a little bit to, to stay ahead of the contestants. I mean, does that, does that sound right to you? It was, it was a little bit surprising to me, and I'm just going off the top of my head. You know me. I watch every episode, and then I forget by the next week what happened the previous episode. But <laughs> yeah, se- yeah. seemingly, it se- I, I got the impression watching every challenge this year, I feel like I've either seen this exact challenge or a version of this challenge in the past. Like, there was nothing new this year that I remember in a challenge. Was there anything? That, yeah. I, they're all, I'm sure they're there all were versions. things. I, yeah. I couldn't think of I it seemed like a lot of the same stuff and if the puzzles are being repeated you would think that they could change up a puzzle like I I don't know I I want I almost want um I almost want to have some new challenge I know there's always going to be something where hey you start in the water and you end up on land and it's just kind of the same ideas and concepts it's just a matter of what do you have to do in the water and then once you get to land what do you have to do there like maybe changing that up and um, but the puzzles seem to be the same. The slide puzzles all seem to be the same. The, you know, balancing a ball on a, on a, through a maze is we've seen that a thousand times, you know, it's like, I don't know. And I understand, Hey, these challenge, what these people have done for 44 seasons and these challenge creators, I give them all the credit in the world. It's one of the best. It's if not the best reality show ever created. And I know that they work their asses off to put these challenges together, but it feels like they're just repeating a lot of them. And I'd like some new ones in there. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's gotten. I mean, again, because like if the players are just figuring it out, like it's less fun to watch because you don't see them struggling. You just see them breezing through it. And like part of the appeal of this show is seeing the contestants struggle, right? Like they struggle in the environment. They struggle with the game and they struggle with the challenges. And that is what the game is about. Not just like who has got the most time and you know disposable resources to prepare at home first. All right, let's talk about this fire-making challenge because for the longest time, whoever wins the Final Four challenge basically says, I'm taking you with me to the Final Two, and or you know, you're going to be in the Final Three with me, and then you two are making fire. And that person has been roundly criticized in the past for essentially, I don't know, taking the easy way out and making other two other people do it and build fire and basically also build their resume during that time because, wow, yeah. you know, you take somebody, you sit there and do nothing, and this person earned their way to the final three. This time, Heidi takes the reins. She says, I'm going to make fire because I'm going to be the one to eliminate Carson. Not only does she do that, she sets the record for the fastest fire making of all time, and she gets one vote. I mean, it's like, are we ever like I go over this with you every time I bring you on. When are we ever going to have a close vote? They're all blowouts. We never get close votes. And 
I don't know. They're not just all blowouts. They're all seven to one to zero. Yeah. (laughs) The same blowout. Um, They're like literally the exact same. But it's so interesting that because, you know, as you, as you point out, like this, like people are, have been every season, people are criticizing the person for not stepping down and making fire themselves. And especially that was the case last season where, Cassidy, who lost the show, who was the runner-up last time, the one-vote runner-up last time, what everyone criticized her for not stepping down and beating Jesse herself in fire. And they said at the time, hey, if you had just done that, then we would have rewarded you because you would have taken out the big threat. You would have like had this big hero moment. Heidi literally does the exact thing people were saying Cassidy should have done. Now, they're not the exact same player, but, I mean, very similar circumstances. And, you know, gets one vote. And it's just, it does kind of put to rest the idea that like, oh, you have to do that. You have to have this hero moment because it's kind of like what you were saying earlier, Steve, that basically the jury is going to vote for who they want to vote for. And then they're going to come up with a reason after the fact for why, you know, you were like, the jury's already made up their minds. Yes, I I agree with that. And I think like, you know, if they wanted last season, I think they wanted to vote for Gabler, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they liked him more. Maybe he was more part of their alliances, maybe, you know. For whatever reason they wanted to vote for Gabler, you know, maybe they loved his commitment to the veterans. And they voted, you know, they said, okay, we're going to vote for you because you made fire. That was part of your hero moment. This season, you know, they wanted to vote for Jam Jam. They didn't want to vote for Heidi. And so they came up with, you know, the things you did didn't matter. And so they're always, the jury is always going to create a rationale, basically, to, to vote for the person that they want to vote for more, you know, maybe who deserved it more, in, you know, in quotes. Um and it's like you're never there's no like one magic bullet that is going to work every single time and and it's in some ways it's liberating to see that the fire making challenge is not some you know necessity because if they don't like you if they don't want you to win it's not going to really change their opinion i think what you said earlier at the beginning in the beginning of the podcast it's starting to ring truer to me now i think i i don't want to say that social game doesn't come into play because it does but this it, it kind of plays into this I really do think likability now is the number one reason you win Survivor. I don't think it has anything to do with how good you are in challenges, how many you won, how many you didn't win, how if you were even competitive in any of these. I really do think it comes down to these people want to vote for somebody that they like and they think the audience will like. And there was nothing to dislike about Jam Jam. And not saying there was something to dislike about Heidi and something to dislike about Carolyn. I just think... The likability factor is maybe just playing more of a role in who ends up winning these things. I think that's it. I think, and, and it's partially it's because the game is so chaotic now and it's so random and things are changing all of the time. I saw this this tweet uh, a couple of weeks ago from this this uh, Twitter account, Idol Half. And she actually just changed her, her Twitter account handle. I don't know the new one, but um, it, it, she said, you know, like, because basically that, she said, you know, because it's like totally crazy and chaotic what happens, the best strategy you can have these days is kind of just try to be as well-liked as you possibly can by everybody so that if all of the random things happen and you manage to wind up in the end, you're the one they're going to vote for. Um, and of course, like you have to like play a game, you have to like have some strategy, you know, and, and, you know, Jam Jam did, Jam Jam played a really strong game, you know, that doesn't take away from Jam Jam's game, which was like, you know, really thoughtful, really strategic, you know, really social and and really charming. But like, the fact is like, it's going to be because it is so crazy now and and, you know, you're not going to ever, it's so rare for like the sea strategist to make it to the end. They're always going to get taken out before the end now. Um, you know, we've seen the, certainly in the last few seasons um, that, you know, you just want to be as well liked as, as you possibly can. So we talk about the challenges and I talked about how much I hate all the repeat challenges. However, there is one that I am all for and I want it to stay in the spot that it's been is I love the Samotion challenge. First off, I didn't even know it had a, I didn't even had it I didn't even know it had a name until this this yeah. season that it was called Simotion. Did you know it was Simotion before the season? Uh, are you kidding? I, this is my uh, where I lost my first season. This is uh, I knew very well. What, what the, I know I know every every groove of that track. Uh, so before we started, yeah. reco- literally ten seconds or ten minutes before we started recording today, I was just scrolling on Instagram and I saw um, Carson on with Rob. Sesternino on his podcast and talking about Samotion because Rob asked him, did you recreate a Samotion? And he's like, no, but one thing I didn't take into account is one of the tracks moved the ball faster 
than one of the other yep. tracks. So I did not. That's right. I did not realize that. So I thought that was super interesting because if they both went at the same time, then you absolutely could time it out in your head when to put your hand down on one, when to put your hand down on the other. But knowing now that they are two different speeds, I'm all for this being the final challenge every year. I 100% I'm in. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I mean, there are ways to sort of gauge the the ultimate total time um where you're, you know, you just count down each one and then sort of divide it up, but it's correct. It is very hard for that reason. Um, and I, I mean, you know, as the first, uh, you know, the inaugural promotion loser, I was trying to eyeball it, and that did not work. Um, yeah, it is a very devious challenge, and uh, yeah, much harder than you would than you would think. Yeah, I I love that challenge. I think it should be the final four challenge going forward every season. I don't think anybody can be smart enough to replicate it to where. They can try at home with, you know, but they're, ne- they're never going to replicate, like you said. You can't replicate where you're at in terms of strength and mental capacity and all that. So replicate the actual structure all you want. You're not going to be able to simulate exactly what's going on out there. Um, but no. See, I love those endurance challenges, though. I love oh, you the, do? like, how long can you keep your hand on a pole? You know, like that, like, first ever Survivor Challenge. Like, that's just like who wants it more, you know, like how much do you really want this? No, I don't think they would ever do that one again. Cause like, you know, they, they, don't, they don't want to videotape for hours. You know, they want to videotape for like 20 minutes and, and then like move on to the next thing. Um, but I love those things that were just like, how long can you, you know, hold a bucket above your head? I mean, I guess that's, that's still actually a challenge, but yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I thought that was, you know, because, you know, and, and you know, you, you mentioned earlier, like how you know one of the one of the problems in Survivor now is that you, we see the same challenges over and over again. And I do think part of that is because they have bigger merges now. You know, they used to merge at at nine people. Now they're merging merging at thirteen people or twelve people. There's just a lot more people, um, you know, to account for in a challenge. And so they, they that's why you know one of the reasons why there a lot of challenges are somewhat static. It's like you know, thirteen people lined up, you know, holding a ball on the plank. Like that's a much easier um, and maybe more fair thing to do when you've got 13 people competing individually for immunity. But, but, um, I love those old school days when it was like, how, like you are the hero, you are one day, you know, one challenge away from a million dollars. Like how much do you want? Whereas with Samotion, again, like this is a real personal sore spot, but, but, uh, there, there is an element of just like, oops, <laughs> you know, like, oops, like I blinked, <laughs> now the ball is gone. Yeah. It's like, there's the, yeah, there's the endurance part of, who was the one that standing on a post that lasted Tom? Was it Tom against somebody yeah, that right. lasted like eating, nine yeah. hours or something ridiculous? Like, so it was, a, oh, it was more it was like 13 hours. Yeah. But yeah, it was crazy. Oh my God. See that. I, I think that they just cut that out because they're like, look, <laughs> we as a filming crew could literally get this thing over <laughs> in 20 or 30 minutes with, with some right, motion yeah. versus that. So yeah, I don't think they would ever go back. I mean, maybe they will go back to some, some, something that's endurance wise, but maybe that takes, I don't know, an hour or two. I don't think they want to put themselves in a situation where something's lasting eight, nine, 10 to 12 hours. It just seems like right. it's, it's almost too much. But the Samotion, I just think, you know, there's the, like you said, there's the endurance part of you are one day away from possibly getting a million dollars. How much do you want it versus. Obviously, there's nothing in there's no endurance involved in Samotion, but it's all right. mental capacity, which to me is just as important out in Survivor as endurance. So that's why yeah. I'm for it. But if you wanted to do something yeah. that's uh, endurance related, yeah, as long as it's like maybe an hour, even though you know we're not seeing the full hour, as long as it's, I'm, I'm I'm actually siding with the, the camera crew here on this. I'm I'm with them. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to stand there and film somebody standing on a log for 13 hours. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's um, fair. That's fair. All right, let's let's talk about um, the after show versus the live finale. I think we're both in the same boat here. We, I don't. I, well, actually, I don't remember. Are you pro after show versus live finale or no? I mean, honestly, Dalton Ross asked Jeff if they ever considered doing both, and I kind of like. I mean, I love the live finale. I love you know, I love that that transition moment from the contestants are super grimy and skinny, yeah. and in their disgusting clothes, and then suddenly they're like all like a little bloated and and you know like dressed to the nines and you know grinning and 
Uh, I liked finding out, you know, I love all the stupid questions. Like, what are you up to now? You know, tell, tell us what, what you're doing. You know, I, I liked all those like really uh, banal questions. And I do think that, you know, you can see that these contestants, especially the losing ones, are just stunned, you know, and I've been there. You know, you have just, you know, gone through the hardest thing you're going to go through in your life over 39 days. Then at the very end of it, just when winning is within your shot, the jury dogpiles you. You know, you're like, mind is reeling. And then, like, I remember it took me, like, 12 hours even to be, like, conversant after I was in that position. So the idea of, like, Jeff suddenly, like, busting out with champagne and pizza, like, I would have I would have been like, what the F? Yeah. I would have had a breakdown. Um, but so, yeah, I, I do think, I mean, that's not relevant, right? Like, nobody is programming it for, like, the contestants' mental well-being. Um, but I do think, like, you're going to get more interesting answers. Um, you know, on the other hand, like, some of the rawness is – you know, part of the appeal, but then, but then I do think we missed something with not having that like live finale. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm pro live finale. Yeah. I, I, I see like, I, I understand. I've read Jeff's answers as, as to why he is doing this and why he likes it. And I, and I see a sort of appeal for, to doing it right after you do get the raw answers and you do get answers from people right after it happened in the moment versus, Oh, I watched back the whole season and now my opinion has totally changed. So I, I get it to that extent, but I also, like you, like the whole, okay, here they are, totally emaciated, and now uh, now we get a live shot of them dressed up, looking good, put their weight back on, they look like normal humans again. Um, I, I, I like that as well. Just So I'm pro-live finale. The, the complaint that the contestants in recent seasons since they've started doing this, which I believe is post-COVID, has been yep. at least give us a day. Owen said it. Right. Carolyn said it in her exit interview. Like, I just wasn't ready right then. Can we have 24 hours and then do it? And, you know, I don't know if that's a possibility. Um, yeah, that would be better. I agree with that. That's a really good idea because then it's not like you have, like, at least you can take a breath. You can process. You can, like, because this image that we've had for the past few seasons of the runners-up just, like, like reeling, like, in, in dismay and disbelief as – you know, their dreams are shattered. It's just like, it's not, it doesn't make it fun. You know, it makes it kind of sad. And, I mean, and, and, you know, I do think, I mean, obviously like part of the issue is not just, you know, the contestants giving over rehearsed answers, you know, there's of course gotta be some cost saving element to it. Right. Where the, you know, doing the live show was probably, you know, a big, a big theater in New York city, you know, the middle of New York. Um, that's obviously a, a giant expense. They had to pay the contestants separately, for coming to the live show, you know, not just a part of their survivor contract. So I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, every, every little bit counts in this, uh, in this economy. Um, and so, I, I, but I, I think it kind of also takes away from some of like the pageantry of survivor. You know, I think that's like, you know, what, what makes survivor so unique among reality shows is it's kind of like bigness. And I think like, you know, in their efforts to like kind of cut it back and make it a little grittier, I think they lose some of that, you know, that you, you lose, the intro, which I I'm, I will always defend the intro because I thought I think it gives the whole show a kind of like an epic feel. You know, they lose the different locations. You know, the sense of like traveling the world. You know, and then and then, and then to lose the finale too. It's all of these little flourishes that I think cumulatively make the show seem smaller. Yeah, and just by filming schedule wise, I know that they've always done it in the past. They used to come back and do the live finales even when they were filming seasons back to back. But if we were to have had a live finale last Wednesday night. Isn't 46 still filming right now or no? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, you mean 45? Um, well, 45 is wrapped, right? Yeah, um, 45 is wrapped. I think fil- because I don't they- know when they start filming 46. That's a good question. I think maybe they just went out there. I'm not positive. Yeah, or maybe it's or maybe Jeff would fly back just for. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Because I thought 45 was, you know, they film one season. March, April, and then they take two weeks off, and then they film May, June for the second oh, so season. You're way ahead of me on this stuff. Okay, yeah. I mean, I know they're out there. I just yeah. didn't know what the uh, so maybe. Yeah. But but they, I, I know they have done it in the past. So clearly they they're, they're able to do it. Jeff just yeah wa- wanted to change it up, and you know, I mean, it started because of COVID. We can't have a we can't have an audience. We got to do it out there. But then the fact that they've kept it, you know, I don't know. Um, like I said, I can see merits to both. I prefer the live finale. I think most people prefer, prefer the live finale, but it is what it is. Now, a conspiracy theory not, – not, I don't have a conspiracy theory, but I think just based on what I read, <laughs> I think based on what I read that I think this might be happening in 45 or 46, or maybe Jeff threw me off, uh, threw me off the beaten path 
So Dalton Ross confronted Jeff with a, what if the jury was able to watch the challenges? Because it seems like the jury can only convene and they, they show up to the, they show up to the tribal, but they don't see what the person went through to win. They just see, Oh, this person won immunity. They have it around their neck. And Carson, uh, Carson, um, Dalton presented it to Jeff in one of his questions about Jeff. I think the jury should be able to watch the, you know, not speak to any of the contestants, but be able, should be able to watch every challenge once you start having a jury. And I thought, wow, that is a great idea. I'm totally on board with that. And Jeff said, you know what, Carson, you know, that's a great idea. Maybe we will use that in the future. And I don't know if he was just saying that to appease him or because 45 had already shot that it was, you know, when I read this, I was like, well, 45 is already shot. I wonder if Jeff already knows. Yes, we are incorporating that into the next season, but I don't want to give it away. What What are your thoughts on the jury being able to watch the challenges? Yeah, I think that would be great. I mean, I'm not like, you know, some person who defines the, the survivor game by challenges, but I would give them so much more context to what happens. You know, they do yes. see so little. They only see, obviously, what happens at Tribal Council for right now. And as a result of that, they in like disproportionately oversample or over index on the things that happen to tribal council, you know, like someone who plays a lot of idols who has a lot of like flashy tribal moments is going to have a disproportionate, um, you know, favor from the jury versus someone who's skilled at the game in other ways. And I, again, like not even being someone who particularly cares about the challenges. Like I think that would make them really root for, um, you know, the challenge winners, too. You'd see a lot of other people's, like, big, flashy moments. They're, like, hero moments. They're moments of, like, great triumph or endurance or, um, you know, overcoming whatever obstacle. And I think that would give – it would really change the way that the jury perceives the game, I think, in a really, like, good way where they'd be just seeing much more of the game. Now, of course, like, then what about the strategy component? What about camp life? You know, why doesn't that get a – a fair shake, but um, just adding a little more, and, and you know, it would be so so achievable. <laughs> it wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Um, just from even like a logistics perspective, uh, I think it could add a lot to the game. And it would be cool because it would give the contestants another place to show off for the jury, right? Because like that's a lot of what contestants are doing or should be doing when they're at, at the tribal council is they're kind of like you know peacocking for the jury or like they're like you know humoring the jury or they're like trying to, you know, communicate to the jury in a way without, you know, being explicitly allowed to communicate to the jury. So to have that extra pressure for the contestants at the challenge, well, that could be interesting too. So you mentioned something about disproportionate favor along those lines and something that we've never talked about because I didn't know about it until this season is I'm digging because I'm all into, um, you know, numbers, statistics, I did not yeah. know, I did not know about the Survivor Fact Checker Instagram account and <laughs> I was I was hooked this season every week finding out about who had the most confessional time. And so yeah, looking at it, I'm like holy all season it was Jam Jam, Carson and Carolyn 1 2 3 and it wasn't yeah. even close. They were blowing out Heidi and Lauren and Jamie and Danny and Franny and Kane and Brandon and Matt. I reeled those off because I'm looking at it right now. Not that I can pull, pull that off of, uh, that fast off the top of my head. But the fact that Jam Jam led all season in confessionals, I was like, wow, this is really interesting because if they pull, without, without having gone back to look at the past seasons, because I was like, well, I'll go back and look at those later. Without having looked at Erica's season and Gabler's season, I know they didn't lead in confessionals. There was no way. <laughs> and, they, and then when I went back and looked, they didn't. They were towards the bottom. And I'm Not, like, this is why. Yeah. This Erica is why especially, they, right? Oh, yeah. It wasn't even close. And Gabler laid down there too, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, so this is, this is now really interesting to me. So Jam Jam leads all season and ends up being the winner. It's just like, okay, yeah, he is the winner because they featured him the most. He's getting – he got 81 confessionals. That was 16, <laughs> 16 more than anyone else and almost 50 more than Heidi. So if Heidi would have won, I guarantee there would have been an uproar, not because Heidi's a bad person, not because Heidi didn't deserve to win. It would have been like, we barely know anything about this woman. She got 33 confessionals. You spent all your time showing us Jam Jam. So now I'm curious about future seasons that I'm going to be so glued 
to this confessional thing because this goes into the whole quote-unquote winner's edit, you know? Clearly, yes. Jam Jam got a winner's edit because he got the most screen time, yeah. you know? I I find this fascinating. Have you been following this Survivor Fact Checker? Oh, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't follow that account. I mean, I'm, very, I'm familiar with the account, okay. but um, I certainly am familiar with you know the discourse around you know how many confessionals people are getting because it's you know it's a real hot button uh, hot button topic in the survivor community. Okay, but um, you know, it is true that, and I, I do think there was a little bit of a reaction, you know, from production in terms of like trying to hide the winner a little more, and in a good in a way that it was it was both frustrating but i also kind of found good where like you did have an erica you know, and marianne was surprising too as a winner you know not a quote traditional winners edit at all um and then yeah with jam jam it's much more of a traditional winners edit but also i do think jam jam is a little bit of a unicorn because he's just this absolute confessional king i mean he was both a great strategic player he happened to win the season and he's freaking hilarious you know and that does not always happen you know he just gave them he, he was both driving the action and he just like was able to narrate it so hysterically and, and and so and so well um and of course like you know the production's goal is to have the best content so if if someone is not giving them you know good confessionals they're going to get fewer confessionals um you know i do think they made more of a concerted effort in the like 30s, for example, and in the 20s, of like really making sure the audience knew who won, you know, or like giving that person like a really fleshed out edit, but in a way that became somewhat predictable, where you know you could tell episode one, okay, Wendell or Tommy, they got like a confessional about how their job, you know, Tommy was a teacher, Wendell was a furniture maker, was going to let them connect with people in authentic ways, and that was going to help their strategy games. And you really like you could you could call it episode one like who was going to win and I think that became a little bit formulaic. So I but on the other hand you know so I think they were trying to like mix it up a little bit in the early forties and you know make you know more surprising winners. But I do think the backlash to Gabler actually managed to make its way into to production because I think a lot of people were really surprised by the Gabler win in a way that was like well how did where did this person come from you know I I mean how did this guy win? And it's, I, I heard an interview with Jeff where he said, you know, if nobody gets why Gabler won, then we didn't do our job. And I, so I think like maybe that, you know, they actually changed course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And now that, they might've, you could say looking at the final statistics with jam jam, having 16 more confessionals than Carolyn and being so far ahead of her, it almost like they over course corrected this, you know, a little bit. They didn't even yeah. they didn't even it out at all because Jam Jam, Carolyn, and Carson essentially navigated the whole season because after those three, nobody had more than thirty three, and thirty three was Heidi, and she only got up to thirty three because of the last episode. So, um, right. I, so it was now. I think it was like, hey, I, I thought we were headed for a Jam Jam, Carolyn, Carson final three, and if we would have had yeah. those in the final three. You could argue that would have been the most likable final three in uh, maybe Survivor history. Like everybody yeah. liked all no, three. Of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really was. It was a great trio. It was a super fun trio to watch. Um, definitely, it would have been like such a great uh, final trio. Um, you know, but but uh, yeah, the, 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 there was some drama, obviously, with the, the, the Carson elimination. I mean, the, the problem became for me, you know, less about Heidi because I did feel like we got to know Heidi and we got to see her strategy along the way. But then, like, someone like Lauren, who's fifth place, or Jamie, who's, who was sixth, we saw so little from them, and Lauren especially. And I don't know what her final confessional account was, but, like, not only did I feel like I knew this player and this character less well, but I – there was just no way she was winning, you know, like yeah. there's no way that they're not going to give the winner of the show a little bit of content. You know, even Erica, um, you know, had, had more fleshed out content. And so like it, it takes away from the drama and maybe not for like the super fans or, or sorry, maybe not for like the, for the people who are watching more casually, but for, for the super fans, it takes away from the drama because you know, Lauren isn't winning, you know, Jamie isn't winning because all we saw it from Jamie was, you know, Ha ha ha! I've got this like, idol in my hands. Like, oops, it's fake. You know, um, there was just no way that person was gonna like gonna win the show. So, I, I do think um, that for me is sort of where it falls down when we don't see kind of fleshed out character and narrative content from the final five or six. Yeah, Lauren had thirty, so she was only fifty-one behind 
Jam Jam. And <laughs> no, no, not fifty one. Are you serious? Yeah, because Jam Jam had eighty one. Yeah, she had she had thirty. <laughs> and, That's amazing. And, That's crazy. And seven yeah. of and seven of those were in episode one. So she only had twenty three over the last twelve episodes. She literally was averaging two yeah. an episode, less than two an episode over the last uh, you know outside of the first episode, which is you know again. Jam Jam had seven in the first episode. Carson had eight. Lauren had seven. But the leaders in episode one were Brandon had 14, which I don't even remember. I, I guess. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Matt had 11 and Matthew had 11. So those were the leaders. So, and those guys didn't even finish better than 10th place. So it's almost like, but Jam Jam did get seven. So he was there. But in the first episode, you wouldn't have predicted it based on on edits. And I think that, you know, like you said, it was that was the whole thing I was thinking all season. I was like. Look, if Lauren, Jamie, or Heidi do win, the audience is going to be upset because we know nothing about them, and they're clearly yeah. way behind the people that are getting the most camera time. And clearly, if you don't get enough camera time, the fans just can't connect to you, and they're going to be like, well, wait, they won? I mean, congrats and all, but how can we root for you? We barely saw you on our TV. I mean, that's what people root for, the people that get the most camera time. And obviously, Carolyn... Finished in second place, one of the most eccentric characters we've ever seen in the history of this show. And, I, and I'm going to be flat out honest with you, Stephen. I said it on my podcast as the first half of this season was airing. She annoyed me to holy hell. Like, I was so bothered. By oh, Carol. really? Yes. Oh, that's now, I really got a lot. Of, I, I enjoyed her. Yeah, okay. So that was the first half of the season. Then, yeah. because... The whole first time of the season, I wasn't doing anything on social media with this show. I didn't I didn't find Survivor Fact Checker until probably halfway through the season. And then I came across Carolyn's Instagram account as I was doing a search one day, and I realized all the things that I thought I thought she was putting on an act. I thought that she was doing the eye rolls, making the noises at challenges just to put on an act to be on TV. But then I realized when I watched her Instagram account, this is actually who she is. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. I, I had no idea she was a recovering addict. I had no idea what she had been through in her life. And then everything after that, when I watched her, it didn't annoy me at all. Like, I was so annoyed by her in the first half of the season. I'm like, good God, this woman is so annoying. I can't stand this. And then I realized, because I thought she was putting on an act. And then I realized, wait a second, this is actually who she is. I literally was totally fooled. And I'm, and I was fine with her. I was, I was fine with the yeah. way she was. And I, I think her story is great. I mean, anybody who can overcome what she did, um, and be sober for, I think she said nine years now, or maybe it's 13. Can't remember the years, but I mean, all props to her. She didn't annoy me at all in the second half of the season, even though she was doing the same exact stuff she was in the first half. It's just me getting a better understanding of who she was. And, uh, I was, I was totally in on her. And obviously she was, Loved by everybody. Sia gave her her hundred thousand dollars this year. Um, yeah, just uh, just a great character, and I fully expect on a returnee season or an all star season, she's in one thousand percent. Well, one thing I loved about Carolyn, and you know, which really differentiated her from other people in that sort of you know older lady demographic, and I say that. You know, Carolyn is younger. I think younger than I am, or, or maybe uh, close close in age to me. So I'm, I would also be in the, in the older demographic. Um, but but um, you know, <laughs> you know, mid forties is now the older demographic on Survivor. Um, but but uh, you know, she she was this kind of like kooky, emotional player. You know that we have seen before. We have not seen before is have that kooky, emotional player also have amazing strategic reads, you know, be able to outfox her tribe, like consistently know what's really going on. You know, have great just like insights and, you know, reads of, of other people, you know, and, and, and she was ahead of Jam Jam, right? When she would, when um, at the swap, when, when Josh swapped to her tribe and, um, you know, she kind of teamed up with, with him for a vote because uh, she didn't want to be the, the decoy vote. You know, she was like, she was running circles around Jam Jam at that point in time. Um, I do think what hurt her towards the end was that she was really kind of stuck with her group, whereas we saw Carson and Jam Jam um, more playing with others outside of their group. And, you know, so both that, like, hurt her connections to the jury, but it also like, didn't she didn't have any 
kind of like external verification for her game. And I was kind of I was emailing with with James Jones, who was on a uh, a couple seasons ago, maybe, maybe last season, last season. Um, and he was saying, you know, it's it had a great insight which I'd never heard before, which I thought was so smart, which was that you want to play with people in other alliances. You want to like make plans with them. You want to like go through with plans with them because then at the jury phase, like they're going to be able to kind of like confirm that you were a strategic force. Whereas if you're just leading your own alliance, you know, nobody else knows about it. You know, you know, you're maybe you're there at the end with your allies and the jury's like, I don't know. Like, were you like, you didn't talk to me. So I, you know, it's important to just kind of like, make plans and like, you know, work with those outside of your group because then they can, you know, like fact check that, yes, you you were that person. Looking over the confessional stats, I I have a trivia question for you. And so I know, (laughs) I know you didn't look, but this is, it's not true. I mean, just seeing if you can recognize off the top of your head, they have, uh, you know, I said, Jam Jam had 81 confessionals. That is the um, ninth most confessionals ever. And the third (laughs) and the third most for a winner. Do you know who yeah. holds who who would you say holds the record for most confessionals in a season and then who and who holds the record for most confessionals by a winner? Who would you what would your guess is? So Okay, so I think for the winner it has to be Boston Robert Tony. Um Correct. I want to say I want to say Boston Robin season 22 cuz he basically narrated that whole season. Yes, it was him. 97. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. And then for most confessionals ever, I mean, you can see, you know, it's going to be one of those big over the top characters. You know, it could be Russell. I mean, Russell in, in, um, Russell seems like a really likely one. Um, you know, Rob could, could be right up there. And the other is coach. Coach was like a, a hit machine. Um, I feel like I'm missing someone. I feel like I'm missing just like one of their like giant kooky characters. I mean, like you can see like Rick Devins having a ton of confessionals. Um, yeah, I would say Russell. What do you think? It's Russell, season nineteen. Oh, yeah. All right. Was it Samoa? I bet he had hundred and eight. He had. Wow. <laughs> now I I've I haven't read their definition of a confessional. If Jam Jam is sitting there talking to the camera, and then yeah. the next scene is it a cuts. Sh- yeah, and next scene is a, sh- a shot of the beach, and then they go back to Jam Jam in the same conversation. Does that count as two or one? That's what I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I don't know, um, and it might just be one. Yeah. I think I think that sh- I think that is one, uh, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know their method, but I I am so addicted to Survivor Fact Checker now on Instagram. <laughs> I swear, That's so funny. It is. It's it, really like sticks to your Survivor st- or your just general stats interest. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, the amount of time they're spending on and and the type of charts that they're doing and the things that they're breaking down. I'm like. Oh my gosh! You know they have a they have yeah. a chart up of how often does the player with the most confessionals win, and they have a whole and it's not breakdown a lot, of right? that. Because usually, usually it's like the person with like the second or third most confessionals. Am I right about that? Let's see. Full results are eighteen out of the four oh, going into this. This was season forty four, right? Yeah. So before this season, it was eighteen out of forty three. So we're nineteen out of forty three. Forty two percent of the time, most confessionals wins. Um, That's interesting. Number two. Nine out of forty-three. Number three, nine out of forty-three, and number four, six out of forty-one. So you have to finish basically top four um, to win mo- to to win the season. If you're not in the top four of confessionals, you've never won a season outside of <laughs> the Underwood effect. What they're calling. Um, well, right. I mean, yeah. that's so extreme. Yeah. The the only thing though that you do wonder, like you know, the obviously there's a huge and enormous um, you know slingshotting effect in that that last episode where you know, the, the last few people get the most confessionals because they're the only people who are left. Yeah. You know, I almost wonder like what it would be, you know, it's like, like confessional average is also an interesting stat, right? Like how many confessionals per episode? Oh yeah. They do that too. They break, they break it down <laughs> per episode. The average, I mean, yeah, I told you jam jam had 81 confessionals this season, but he averaged 6.2 an episode. So crazy. And an edit of 57%. So I don't know what edit percentage means. Um, yeah. So they have a whole thing about that. Um, yeah, I mean, survivor winner confessional stats entering the finale. They do have that. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. I credit to them. I mean, it's not a huge site; only forty five hundred people follow it. But I absolutely love it. I'm congr- yeah. thank you, Costa, for doing this. Um, he's the one that I guess runs it. And um, so anyway, that's my that's my new favorite thing. The last thing I want to talk about is 
Did you listen to Jeff's podcast all season? Did you just read cliff notes of it every week like I did? Um, what do you think of the whole Jeff podcasting? I love, I didn't listen to them all. I listened to a few of them. I want to, my, my plan is to listen to them all. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was so fun getting to hear this like behind-the-scenes production stuff. You know, I've been talking about and thinking about and writing about Survivor for a decade now, which is so depressing. But um, it's uh, – I was learning things. You know, I didn't know. So I really liked it. I love getting Jeff's perspective. You know, I do think in the um, – you know, the, the, at the end of every episode, they did like a – you know, Jeff got one fan to like tell me why I suck. And the fan would like raise some issue that – not just that fan, but a lot of people would have with the show. Yeah. And Jeff would just be like, nah, you're dumb. Like, no, I like doing it my way. And I found that a little bit dismissive because it's like, you know, he would never really engage on the merits of the criticism. He'd all just sort of like dismiss it. And like, whatever, that's his prerogative. He's the EP. But there were some things that I found to be like really complaints of the show. Like the thing that drives me crazy about Survivor right now, I like, it's almost like gone to the point where I'm, I'm losing interest in the show. It's so bad. Is that... Tribal council is all just people like making analogies. You know, it's never, it's never like camp politics. You know, when, when I was on the show, Jeff would say to me, you know, he would be like, you know, Stephen, like, or, or like Joe, like Joe is wearing, you know, or Sydney's wearing Joe's hat. Like, you know, Taj, what do you think about that? Like, does that make you upset? And it was like so much about the, like the tribe politics and who felt one way about it. And, and like, that to me is the really interesting stuff about Survivor, just those like human conflicts that we all face in one, you know, in, in one way or another, and then are just like magnified when you're forced to live on a beach together. But now it's like, you know, Cody, tell me why Survivor is like Jaws, you know, like why is Survivor like a hot air balloon? You know, why is Survivor like a wedding cake? And it's like <laughs> so disconnected from everything, you know, and it's like not interesting. It's not like related to the actual drama. And I just like, and, and the other thing is, the like, tribal council's longer now than it used to be. Like, it's really long. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a quarter of the episode. You know, we, we barely see the strategy on the beach, and then a quarter of the episode is like people like you know making up new metaphors. And it's just like, I, and, and one of the, um, you know, so one of those confession, one of those questions at the end of the podcast was like, you know, hey, like these analogies are getting out of hand. Like they're not good. Please stop. And Jeff was like, no, I really like doing them, so I won't. You know, it's <laughs> just like, okay. Um, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Um, I'm yeah. usually reading. I'm usually reading Andy Denart's uh, recap of them because I just don't have the time to listen to another a full Survivor podcast. But I mean, just reading the recaps, he literally quotes word for word. It's not like he's um, right. You know, paraphrasing, and I, I so I because I, I hate when people paraphrase something because something can easily get lost in translation. He just takes out the direct quotes of what Jeff says about things, and and I like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely added on. It's amazing that it took forty four seasons for for something like this to come about. Um, especially since podcasts have gotten big in the last five or six years. But definitely, if you're a if you're a survivor <clears throat> um, aficionado, if you're a survivor lover. I think it's probably a must listen for for most people that um, because it's really it's really good insight to a lot of things that people either don't think about or don't know. Um, Yeah, I think it's it's really good stuff. So maybe I will listen to a a few on occasion here and there. But to be to make it appointment listening every week, I just, you know, I just don't have the time. It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, no surprise. Jeff is great. You know, I mean, he's amazing. He's an amazing host. Like, you know, he's guess what? He's like the greatest host out there. So, uh, you know, no surprise that he's also great at hosting a podcast. So where do you rank this season to wrap it up? Where do you rank this season in? I'm not saying like, you know, out of 43, do you have it 15th or do you have it 12th? Like, I mean, do you rank it in the top, top half? Is it in your top quarters in the top 10 for you or? I mean, I so I like. Go ahead. Yeah, I love the cast. I love the winner. Um, Jam Jam was so great. You know, super great uh, final group. You know, a lot of really fun. Um, you know, fun moments along the way. The only, th- I mean, I hate to say it, but like, I just feel like the fundamental show structure like is not. I, I and I, I've said this before. You know, speaking of me repeating myself, and like people are like, how could you say that? This is one of my top seasons ever. Like. I feel like Survivor now, this 26-day season, you know, where the strategy, where, where the game is just like advantage, 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 advantage. I feel like the strategy is so chaotic that to me it can never equal some of like the great 
legendary seasons of the past because there was so much like really thoughtful interpersonal strategy in those in those seasons where like now it's just like how do I react to this latest chaotic twist? And and also for me too, the tribal council stuff really takes over. <laughs> I know that's not my like pet peeve, and not everybody has that. But like having a quarter of every episode just be like meaningless analogies drives me crazy. Um, so I like at the same time, great cat, great winner. Like truly, I think Jam Jam is like an all time winner for the show. Like one of like the most fun, you know, best uh, uh, of the show. So. I mean, for me, it's solidly in the middle. Like, it's not, it's never going to be a standout. You're never going to have like that. You know, I just don't think survivor strategy is, is where it was, you know, where, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, but, but like very fun and certainly compared to some of the, the new seasons, like really, really a fun season. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's exceptional that, like, I think most people determine seasons by the winner. If, let's just say Heidi would have won it at the end of this thing, I think it falls behind as, not one of the worst seasons and I hate saying that because I'm sure Heidi's a great woman and she's accomplished a lot and I think everything that she's been through in her life is amazing but for the actual show of Survivor if she would have ended up winning I think a lot of people would have felt disappointed because like I said the confessional we barely know her there was no connection there where everybody felt god this Jam Jam guy is so warm and so funny and so engaging it's just like yeah how do you not you know like him and yeah um but he won, so it's like, and everyone's got a different criteria of what makes a good season. Like I, my my definition is probably different than yours, which is probably different than Cesarino's, which is probably different than Tyson's. Like everybody's, it's so subjective of what makes a great season right, of Survivor. Exactly. Is it? It's got to have a ton of blind sides. Does it have to be a dominant challenge person? Like you just, you know, you don't know. I mean, everyone's got a different definition. I don't even know what my definition of a great Survivor season is. I guess for me. I have to like the winner. I, I, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is I want to like the winner and feel like they deserve to win. And so Jam Jam did to me. So it's up there for me. But, you know, to sit here and go over 43 seasons, I'm not going to do that. Um, but, yeah. Maybe I mean, like top quarter, top third. Yeah, I'd say it's top quarter. I mean, but then again, I, if you tell me like, hey, Steve, remember, you know, uh, Survivor – I'm just trying to think of one of the, the early seasons when they had actual names to them and not numbers. Um, what was season eight, just by name? What what, what was that one? Well, that was All Stars. Okay, what was seven? Uh, that was Pearl Island. That's one of the great ones. Because that was Rupert, Rupert. Sanders' okay. first time, Johnny okay. Fairplay's first time. Okay, what's nine then? <laughs> uh, nine is Vanuatu. That's, okay, yeah. Uh, if you were to say, Steve, yeah. what happened in Vanuatu? I would say, I don't have a fucking clue. I don't even remember who won. <laughs> I watched every episode. I don't remember a thing about it. So that's something like, yeah, that's something like that wouldn't jump out to me. But All Stars, yes, I remember. Amber won, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> I remember that very well. Yeah. Wait, who, wait, who won? Because Rupert didn't never won. So it wasn't Pearl. Who won Pearl Islands? Was that Vest- That was Sandra. That was Sandra's first win. Oh, that was Sandra's first win. Okay, see? Like, that's what I mean. Um, but at least I remember those. I, Pearl Islands, the second you said that, I knew. I was like, okay, Rupert. So I, I did remember that. And then. All stars I knew Amber, but Vanuatu, yeah, completely, totally blanking. If you gave me hundred guesses, I wouldn't get it. I wouldn't. But, yeah. but go ahead and tell me. Uh, Vanuatu was Chris, Chris Darty. Oh shit, I wouldn't have remembered that. Oh wait, that was that was Eliza's season. I should have remembered. That's that. right, I'm Eliza's so, first season. I'm sorry, Amy, Eliza. Uh, that was the battle of the, the battle of sexes season. Um, although I guess Star uh, uh, of the Amazon also had that initially. <laughs> well, that was so. Yeah. That was when it was. If I remember correctly, see now, see now that you mentioned it, it's like okay, some things are coming back to me. It was yeah when the fi- when there was seven people left, it was six women and Chris, or was it? Yep, okay. that's right. Yeah. yeah, all right. So see, I do remember things here and there, but just by name, no, nothing strikes right. me by name. Or if or if you give me the winner of a season and say, what was the name of that season? Like if you say. Michelle Fitzgerald, I'd be like, I don't remember what the name of the season. You know, right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's what I'm not good at. So anyway, Stephen, love to have you on again, uh, our biannual uh, podcast. I'm sure we'll have you on around December when uh, season 45 ends. So I hope you had a great Survivor season. Thanks again for coming on, man. And uh, oh, thank talk you so to you in December for sure. Yes. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Steve. This is great. You got it. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Steven for coming on. Love having him on at the end of every season. How can you not? I mean, he's an encyclopedia when it comes to this show. I am not. I remember bits and pieces of things. If you ask me in two weeks things that happened in this season, I'll have already forgotten. 
just when you don't cover it and it's not your daily coverage, you just don't remember details that you probably should. So, again, Stephen is an excellent guest. I love the way he breaks down the seasons. He always brings up points that it never make that I never think about. So, yeah, and um, yeah, he really made me think about the whole likability factor. I really do think that's the new thing for the 26 day survivor, the 26 day season. I think likability is now the number one thing that you have to have to win your season. I just don't think you can be, I don't think even if you were the leader behind a bunch of blind sides, you were the leader of your tribe. If you are not well liked, you are gone and people are not going to vote for you. It's just the way it is now. And I think in the past, it's very possible you could get away with that. I mean, just go back to the very first, you, you know, edition of this show. Richard Hatch wasn't well liked by people yet. He got enough votes to win. So um, over the course of all these seasons, I'd have to go through all the winners to see how many weren't liked. I would guess more a majority of them have been liked, but now I think it's probably the most important thing. Winning challenges, not nearly as important, um, but becoming friends with people, being nice to people, and voting them out without them hating you is your, is your biggest thing you could have in your resume right now for a 26 day survivor season. So thank you to Steven for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Please, please subscribe uh, in Apple podcasts. It's the best thing you can do for this podcast. You can rate it and review it as well. And I will be back yet again with another podcast coming out next week. So pay attention for that. Thank you all for listening for Steven Fishback. I'm reality, Steve, and I will talk to you next week. See you.